Hello everyone, welcome to episode 10 of the Haunted Visions podcast. We are a podcast dedicated to stories of the paranormal, spine-chilling history, and mysteries into the adventures of the unknown. So grab a flashlight, lock your doors, curl up under your blankets, and prepare to be scared. Hi everybody and welcome to the Haunted Visions podcast. I'm Brandy and with me as always is Rachel. Hey everybody, how you doing? And today we are going to talk about the Bermuda Triangle. Um, and this script actually was given to us by Jason Dykes. Thank you very much, Jason. Uh, it's an amazing script and I don't know Jack Squad about the Bermuda Triangle except that people go in and don't come out. Yeah, I've always been fascinated since I was little with the Bermuda Triangle and all the crazy mysteries. So I had talked to Jason and Jason is a ridiculously good researcher. Yeah. So, yeah, and he he had said, oh, well, you know, let me see what I can muster up. And um, he specifically went into um, a certain story about the Bermuda Triangle. Perfect. So, yeah. Perfect. So um, we're because if we sat here and talked about the Bermuda Triangle, we could sit here for hours and hours and hours and hours and talk about all kinds of different stuff that has happened. Um, and we can go into a couple theories of why things happen the way that they happen um, and what I've read about. Um, after the little script that we do and we also have some spooky updates about brandy's house and my house and there's some weird stuff going on so i can't wait to fill you guys in all about that after the script all right well rachel why don't you get us started so on december 5th 1945 a group of five avenger torpedo bombers took off from fort lauderdale florida on a training mission called navigation problem number one a combination of bombing and navigation that several groups were undertaking that day. The use of the term problem does not mean they expected problems. This was just an exercise, like an algebra problem. The flight leader was United States Navy Lieutenant Charles Carroll Taylor, who, was about, who had about 2,500 flying hours, while his trainee pilots each had about 300 total. The student pilots had recently completed other training missions in the area, where the flight was to take place. They were U.S. Marine Captains Edward Joseph Powers and George William Stivers, U.S. Marine Second Lieutenant Forrest James Gerber, and USN Ensign Joseph Tipton Bossy. Each plane was fully fueled, and takeoff was about 2.10 p.m. Weather at Fort Lauderdale was described as favorable, sea state moderate to rough. Radio conversations between the pilots were overheard by base and other aircrafts in the area. The practice bombing operation is known to have been carried out because at the three, about 3 o'clock, a pilot requested and was given permission to drop his last bomb. Forty minutes later, another flight instructor, Lieutenant Robert F. Cox, forming up with this group of students for the same mission, received an unidentified transmission. An unidentified crew member asked Powers, one of the students, for his compass reading, Powers replied, I don't know where we are. We must have got lost after the last turn. Cox then transmitted, This is Cox. Please identify yourself so someone can come help you. Cox tried again, and a man identified as Taylor came on. Both of my compasses are out, Taylor replied, and I am trying to find Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I am over land, but it's broken. I am sure I'm in the Keys, but I don't know how far down, and I don't know how to get to Fort Lauderdale. Cox informed the NAS that aircraft were lost, then advised Taylor to put the sun on his left wing and fly north up the coast of Fort Lauderdale. Instead, at 445, 
Taylor radioed. We will fly north to make sure we are not over the Gulf of Mexico. Taylor was asked to switch to 3,000 hertz, the search and rescue frequency. Taylor replied, I cannot switch frequencies. I must keep my plane intact. As the weather deteriorated, radio contact became intermittent, and it was believed that the five aircraft were actually by the time about 230 miles, or that's 370 kilometers kilometers out to sea east of florida taylor radioed we'll fly 270 degrees west until landfall or running out of gas and requested a weather check at 5:24 p.m at 604 taylor radioed to the flight we didn't fly far enough east we may as well just turn around and fly east again by that time the weather had deteriorated even more and the sun had set around 6:20, taylor's last message was received he was heard saying all planes close up tight. We'll have to ditch unless landfall. When the first plane drops below 10 gallons, we are all going down together. As it became obvious the flight was lost, air bases, aircraft, and merchant ships were alerted. After dark, two Martin BPM Mariner flight flying boats originally scheduled for their own training flights were diverted to perform square pattern searches. One of them, took off at 727 from Naval Air Station Banana River, called in a routine radio message at 730 and was never heard from again. The earliest suggestion of unusual disappearances in the Bermuda area appeared in September 17, 1950, in an article published in the Miami Herald by Edward Van Winkle Jones. Two years later, Fate magazine published Sea Mystery at Our Back Door, a short article by George X., Sand covering the loss of several planes and ships, including the loss of Flight 19. Sand's article was the first to lay out the now familiar triangular area where the losses took place. Flight 19 alone would be covered again in the April 1962 issue of American Legion magazine. In it, author Alan W. Eckert wrote that the flight leader had been heard saying, We are entering white water. Nothing seems right. We don't know where we are, and the water is green, no white. He also wrote that officials at the Navy Board of Inquiry stated that the planes flew off to Mars. Sands' article was the first to suggest supernatural element in the Flight 19 incident. In February 1964 issue of Argosy, Vincent Gaddy's article, The Deadly Bermuda Triangle, argued that Flight 19 and other disappearances were part of a pattern of strange events in the region. He further claimed that the triangle had claimed a thousand lives between 1944 to 1964. The next year, Gaddis explained that this article turned this article into a book, Invisible Horizons. So subsequent authors <clears throat> gave different boundaries and um, they gave different boundaries and they gave different measurements of the triangle with the total area varying from 500,000 to 1.5 million square miles. Seems like a lot of square miles. It does. Consequently... Well, and that's quite a discrepancy. Consequently, the determination of which accidents occurred inside the triangle depends on which writer reported them. Digging deep into the past, authors constructed arguments and incidents to put forth an idea that there was something strange or unusual about the number of disappearances that occurred in the region. Losses blamed on the triangle go as far back as the 1800 loss of the USS Pickering 
to incidents in 2017 when one Turkish Airlines flight was forced to change its direction after some mechanical and electrical problems occurred over the triangle and a private aircraft vanished at 24,000 feet when it vanished from radar and the wreckage actually was later found. Other mysterious anomalies are often written about as well, going as far back as the mysterious lights in the region that Columbus saw. One explanation pins the blame on leftover technology from the mythical lost continent of Atlantis. Other writers attribute the events to UFOs. This idea was used by Steven Spielberg for his science fiction film Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which features the Lost Flight 19 air crews as alien abductees. Charles Berlitz, author of various books on the anomalous phenomena, lists several theories attributing the losses in the triangle to anomalous or unexplained forces that disrupt compasses and the Earth's magnetic poles. In reality, the Bermuda Triangle is no more dangerous than any other part of the ocean. Efforts at debunking began in 1975 when Lawrence Kirsch wrote the Bermuda Triangle Mystery Solved, arguing that many claims of Gaddis and the subsequent writers were often exaggerated, dubious, or unverifiable. Kirsch's research revealed a number of inaccuracies and inconsistencies between Burlitt's accounts and statements from eyewitnesses, participants, and others involved in the initial incidents. One example was an ore carrier recounted by Berlitz as lost without a trace three days out of an Atlantic port when it had been lost. When it had been lost, it was lost for three days, uh, the same name in the Pacific Ocean. Kush also argued that a large percentage of the incidents that sparked allegations of the Triangle's mysterious influence actually occurred well outside it. Often his research was simple. He would review period newspapers of the dates of reported incidents and find reports on possibly relevant events like unusual weather that were never mentioned in the disappearance stories. Cush's research concluded that the number of ships and aircraft reported missing in the area was, was not significantly greater, proportionally speaking, than in any other parts of the ocean. When UK Channel 4 television program The Bermuda Triangle in 1992 was being made, the marine insurance market Lloyd's of London was asked if an unusually large number of ships had sunk in the Bermuda Triangle area. Lloyd's determined that a large number of ships had not sunk there. Lloyd's does not charge higher rates for passing through this area. The United States Coast Guard record records confirm their conclusion. In fact, the number of supposed dis disappearances is relatively insignificant considering the number of ships and aircraft that pass through on a regular basis. So to me, it sounds like some of these other authors that, you know, were mentioned before, um, some of them kind of embellished a little bit and only really focused on, you know, more mysterious disappearances rather than doing more research and actually seeing that there haven't been as many airplane crashes or ships sinking. It's disappointing. It is a little disappointing. There's still, if you look like at the numbers, there's still you know a large amount but if you look in other parts of the ocean as well and you do research about the outside area of this specific spot there's still a lot of plane crashes and ship sinking you know all around yeah. so it's not necessarily all just confined to that one space right so, so anyway um i know a lot of you know scientists out there and researchers claim that it could even be um methane bubbles have you heard of this theory mm -mm. 
So methane comes up every now and then from the bottom of the ocean floor mm-hmm. and rises to the surface in large, large pockets. So that have been, you know, kept underwater for a long time. And when they do that, it can change the atmosphere. Um, it can cause problems, especially um, with older planes, too. Um, all the gadgets that are in the planes, it can it can mess with everything. It can mess with the way that the, the sky looks. And they're thinking that it could even be something like that that's causing shipwrecks and, you know, airplanes crashing and all it things like that. It probably stinks. I would assume so. Methane? Ugh. Yeah. Um, or it could just be a rip in the space-time continuum. You don't know. If we had a flux capacitor, oh my God. we could we probably go back. The world. Yeah, and figure out what the hell was happening. We don't Maybe. even have to go back. We could paddle out there, evidently, but I don't really want to do that. Just in case. Yeah, just yeah. in case. Just if in it, case. If it can sink a ship or bring an airplane down, it could probably take out our little canoe if we went out there. It would definitely... <laughs> And seeing and seeing as I suck at everything on the water, then yeah, no. Yeah, or we could jet ski it. That'd nope, be fun. <laughs> cannot jet ski it. Uh, can I? Can't. No fun. I, I I I don't know what to tell you. I don't, I'm not jet ski. That's a little far for a jet ski. Is it? But yeah. is it? Oh, I think it might. I think be. anything is possible if you use imagination. Banana boat. Maybe a banana boat. I mean, did you hear? But not a jet ski. In the story, there's a place called Banana River. I feel like it's only appropriate to take a banana boat down the Banana River that could and happen. go to the Bermuda Triangle. That could happen. You know, maybe that's what happened to those women that were that got lost at sea for five months. Maybe. I mean, you never know. Yeah. But Crazy they, stuff happens out on the ocean. It does. It does. It Yes. The sea is a cruel mother. Wow. So... <laughs> Anyway, moving forward, um, Rachel mentioned a couple of things that have been going on with us personally mm-hmm. um, that we wanted to share, and then we're going to get to at least one um, reader story. But yeah, um, my my oldest son, my oldest son is eighteen years old, um, and he's he's quite a quite a handful. And his uh, girlfriend told me one day that Jacob had called her about two thirty in the morning, just crying and carrying on. And when she asked him what was going on, he said that um, his he said that there were um, there were pictures coming off the walls in his room. Um, he said that there were uh, um, the closet door was opening and closing. That there was some noise and some things going on. And she said, "Well, you know, why don't you go down? You know, go down to your mom's place and you know just sleep on the couch." And, he was afraid. He was afraid to get up because the door, like I said, kept opening, and closing. His fan kept turning on and off and on and off. Um, and it, but it's one of those things where you know, Caroline, the, his girlfriend, she happened to be awake because she was studying for a test. Um, and Jacob, you know, very well could have been asleep and dreaming. But we've had some incidences, and and we're fairly convinced that it's my grandmother, um, and she's not happy with him. Uh, but there's been some other instances. Uh, Caroline and I were in the basement the other day, and uh, my bathroom light came on for no reason. Uh, my youngest son wasn't around it, um, and we were just kind of sitting there watching TV. And she's, you know, and it just it just came on. So, uh, well, my grandmother is happy with me because she's she's doing these little mundane things to me. Um, I did tell Jake, I'm like, well, she's, she's pretty pissed at you at this point because 
She's messing with your fan and taking stuff He's off the walls. He's going to take Grandma's raft now. He better get it together. He better get it together. But, yeah, so those are those are a couple of the things that are going on. Like I said, with Jake's stuff, you know, it's at 2.30 in the morning. He could have been dreaming. It's certainly possible. Right. Um, because then he said, well, but because then he said, well, I said, well, are, is the stuff still in the floor in your room? And then he goes, well, no, I picked it up and hung it back up. So, see, that makes me think that he's, that this maybe didn't happen. Maybe exaggerating. Ha- well, I don't know if it's exaggerating or maybe he dreamed it uh, because he doesn't pick up anything ever. Like, yeah. had my grandmother trashed his room, it would still be trashed Because he'd be terrified. Day. Well, he'd be terrified, but, and he's just not going to pick anything and up And he's in a his messy room. teenage boy. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, but you've had some stuff going on at your house too, right? Oh God, I've had so many weird things. So, um, a little while ago, I think I had shared this on a previous episode. Um, one of my, my best friends, Steph, um, she was staying with us for a couple months and she was staying in the spare bedroom. That's kind of across from our bedroom, like catty cornered in our hallway. And my house is only about 14 years old. So... She was staying with us and everything was fine. She never had weird vibes or anything in there. She had a couple incidents that I believe I shared on a previous episode as well happen when she was there. And she is very skeptical. And I'm pretty sure what happened in our house made her a believer that maybe not about ghosts, but that something supernatural happens because she claims that. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Stuff follows me everywhere, but I'll get into other stories on another episode. So basically, my husband told me um, a couple nights ago that the light in that spare bedroom that's empty, it's currently sitting empty. There's just a bed and a couple other pieces of furniture, but that's it. Um, We always keep that door shut because we have dogs. And if anyone else knows, they have hyper dogs like I do. I have a husky. Um, They go in there and they'll just romp around and tear the sheets off the bed and just be basically buttheads about everything. So we keep all the extra spare room doors shut. Well, he noticed since that um, room sits towards the front of the house, when he was out walking the dogs one night, he looked up towards the front of the house and a light was on. And he came in there and said, have you, did you go inside that bedroom today? Well, I have nothing in there I would need. So of course not. And I said, no, what are you talking about? And he goes, go outside and look up at the window. Me thinking he's messing with me. I go outside and, you know, yeah, the, the light was on. So I think he's messing with me. I start accusing him, but he keeps accusing me. We think that he's messing with me, and I think that, you know, he thinks I'm messing with him, whatever. So I turn the light off, and I shut the door. End of discussion. So um, we just recently went on a quick little road trip last weekend, and um, we got home, and the light is on. And we know for sure because we left um, when it was still kind of dark outside to run errands before leaving on our trip last weekend. Everything was off in the house. We would have noticed if a light was on. Well, when we get back, you know, no one had been in our house. The doors were locked. The windows were closed. Our light was on again. So it kind of freaked us out. So I called my father-in-law, who isn't necessarily a certified electrician, but he installed all the wiring and things in his house when he built it years ago. 
And he came and looked at the light switch and some other wiring. And he said, yeah, you guys, I mean, this house is fairly, fairly newer. There's no problems that I can tell. So last thing, you know, we're like, okay, well, you know, you know, one of us is messing with the other. Something's not right here. So then um, we noticed last night that the light was on again and it was not. So when we had taken the dogs for a walk together, mind Mm -hmm. you, he wasn't in the house alone. So I know he wasn't messing with me. We come back and we noticed that the light, the window is illuminated where that bedroom is. So, of course, someone is messing with us. I mean, it's little things like that. It's never anything bad. It almost feels like it's like a little kid or something playing pranks on us. Mm -hmm. Um, And, I mean, I need to do some more research on the land and maybe go to the library and sit down and just have a day's worth of it because I haven't been able to dig up anything because where we live did used to be open farmland and fields. So I'm not sure if it's like a relative checking on me or if it really is faulty wiring or whatever. I really want to figure it out and get to the bottom of it and debunk it if I can because it's starting to freak me out a little bit considering it's right across the hall from my bedroom. And that's like my fortress. I don't want anything messing with me in my space. Sure. Yeah. So not not sure how I feel about that, Randy. I'll send you my grandmother. Um, I don't I – don't, I'm good. <laughs> I, you have lights coming on in your bathroom and I have lights coming on in my bedroom. I don't, I don't want her to turn my bedroom lights on. Oh, she will. Anyway, so um, I also want to take a minute to say before we start our Ghastly Ghosts segment, um, if you are interested in joining um, our Facebook group, we share some spooky stuff, stories, um, you know, we welcome people. And if there's anything, you know, that's ever going on that you want to talk about, that's a good place to do it. Um, So you can find us at Haunted Visions um, and look for our group page and... um, Either myself or Brandy or one of the admins will let you join and we'll welcome you. Um, and also you can go like our page on Facebook, Haunted Visions, the podcast. Um, we're pretty easy to find. And if you have any questions or, again, any stories you want to share, we're pretty responsive to messages there. And um, Brandy um, told me today we have new Patreon supporters. Yes. So I'm going to let her tell you about that. We have new Patreon supporters, Ben and Rosanna from the wonderful podcast, They Walk Among Us, are now Patreon supporters of ours. And we truly, truly appreciate their support. They're wonderful people. Um, If you get a chance, if you haven't yet, check out They Walk Among Us. Uh, It's a British podcast. They do a great job. They win awards. Um, And they're just really, really good people. So if you get a chance to do that, um, I would encourage you to do so. And if you would like to give to our podcast and help us be the little engine that could and get, uh, you know, equipment (laughs) and pay things, um, you can go to patreon.com backslash haunted visions. And you can just... Drop us a little, drop us just a little monetary donation, uh, and every little bit helps for us. So thank you so much, Ben and Rosanna. Thank you, yes. And thanks, Christine Bourgeois and Sue Story. They're also um, donators on Patreon, and we really appreciate all your support. And um, we have another announcement. I, I, I'm fairly certain that we mentioned this in the last episode, but we have joined the ACAST network. Mm-hmm. So that's really awesome for us. You can also download the ACAST um, app and listen to other great podcasts such as our podcast and they walk among us because Ben and Rosanna are part of that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of really awesome podcasts. If you like some dark comedy and funny things, you could check out history dweebs. They're on a cast, um, death's door podcast, um, with Dominique mix that is also, um, available on the a cast network as well. And Dominique takes a look, um, at, Death row um, cases. Death row cases. And it's very factual. 
it's very interesting. I didn't even realize I would like something like that until I listened to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and also Deadball um, is a podcast that's on there and it talks about tragedies from baseball history. And even if you're not necessarily um, a huge sports guru, it's a pretty neat podcast and it's very well researched. And um, History Dweebs is hilarious. But it's not safe for work. I will say that. <laughs> it, is, it is not. No. Um, one more thing I want to mention just before we get to the story and we wrap up um, is that we're going to start doing some deeper research into our stories. And so um, starting this month, we're going to every other week. So now it'll be two weeks before our next podcast, but we're going to try and put together some really fascinating, well-researched stories for you guys. And make our episodes a little longer. And make our, mm-hmm. maybe make our episodes a little longer, but... Um, you know, so I just want to let you guys know that. Um, but we we are going to use that time to put in some quality research on our on our subjects. So yes. um, if you want to read our story, yep. we'll. So this is for our Ghastly Goats segment. Um, this this one's just a quick update before I get into the main story. Um, Jenny Heisey, um, she I'd read her story um, a couple episodes ago. Well, she posted it on our group page and said that something else really creepy has happened. Jeez. And. Yeah, so I guess things are following her everywhere, too. She needs to sage the shit out of her house. Right. Um, So she says, another weird thing has happened. My friend had surgery, and so I went to the hospital to say hi and sit with her sister and niece while they waited for her to come out. There's a big waiting room where we were and a little waiting room down the hall. The big waiting room ran out of coffee, so I went to the little one to see if there was any there. No one was in the room. I was getting coffee, and I hear, Jenny, my friends, right? And I said, Hey, this room is better because we can watch what we want in here. And right in my ear, I hear, Jenny. And I turn around because why would anyone talk right into someone's ear like that? And there isn't anyone there in that flipping room besides me. So now I'm not in that room anymore. I decided to leave and go home. Yeah. And never, ever venture out again. (laughs) Into the hospital. But I've heard all kinds of crazy stories before about hospitals being haunted and whatnot. Yeah, because there's dead people everywhere. Right. So, okay. So I'm going to now go into another story. Um, So this one is from Christina Cairns. Um, I hope I said that right, Christina. So she says, hey, ladies, love the show. Keep up the great work. I have a strange story that I thought I would share with you and your listeners. About 15 years ago, I had a boyfriend that tragically committed suicide at our house. He died of carbon monoxide poisoning in our garage after a bout of acute depression. The whole day while I was at work, I had this horrible feeling that something was wrong and I couldn't place why I felt that way. Maybe I had just left something like a curling iron on or something, but I felt very uneasy all day until I was finally home and realized that he had passed away. Life had changed as I knew it. I moved through the following weeks in a haze of shock, grief, and unimaginable sadness. When I was finally able to return to the house that we had shared, it felt so empty. The first night that I spent alone in the house following the funeral was really hard. I crawled into bed with my great Dane Ikea and settled in for the night. It took a while to fall asleep, but a few hours after initially falling asleep, I awoke to my great Dane growling quietly. And I roll over and I noticed that all of the fur along the ridge of her spine was raised in fear. I looked at her and noticed that she was staring intently at the doorway to our bedroom. Just as my eyes were adjusting to the darkness... My deceased boyfriend came through the door and sat on the bed. Nope. (laughs) Yeah. Nope. He was in the process of getting ready for work. I was stunned and in disbelief. I stared at my dog and she was looking right at him. 
I asked what he was doing, and he replied that he was getting ready for the day. I was shocked and blurted out, but you, you're dead. Your funeral was last week. He looked at me, but it seemed like he looked through me. He got up from where he was sitting, walked over to the entrance away from the bed, turned to look at us one more time, and then vanish. It was the strangest experience I have ever had. To this day, I often wonder if it was a dream, but my dog was definitely growling and I wouldn't go to the bed and wouldn't go to the bedroom unless I was there for the longest time. I honestly wonder if due to the tragic circumstances of his death, he is now trapped there. But after he vanished in our encounter, it never happened again. Maybe he was just saying goodbye. I have since told, uh, sold that house and I moved across the country. But every once in a while, I'm reminded of the encounter and it gives me chills. I just wanted to share that story. Keep up the great work. All the best, Christina. Thank you, Christina. That was awful. And I, I, it's really sad. I'm so it's sorry. It's very sad, and it's very, very sad that that happened, and that is horrible. And yeah, my heart breaks for that kind of stuff. Yeah, but it was a very interesting story. It was. It yeah. was. So, so anyway. So that's it, I think. That's yeah, probably that's a wrap. Um, if you want to email us in your stories, you can do so at hauntedvisionspodcast at gmail.com. Yep, and if you want to give to Patreon, go to patreon.com backslash hauntedvisions. Yep. And we appreciate you listening. Everybody have a great day. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.